Hey all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm your host, Darren, and today we have a special guest, Chef Kevin Holmes Little. He has his own Facebook sous vide group and was a presenter at the International Sous Vide Association Sous Vide Summit back in July. He has a ton of experience with sous vide, and we're going to discuss that with him in just a second. I'll be right back with Chef Kevin Holmes Little. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter. Hey all, before we get on to the show, I want to talk to you for a second about Instacart. Instacart's a great service that allows you to do all your grocery shopping online, and they can get you your groceries in as fast as one hour. They connect you with personal shoppers in your area that know your markets, and they can get them from your favorite stores. They find all the great buys and smart suggestions for you online to save you money. They pick the freshest produce, and they check your eggs and make sure they're not cracked. Check them out, guys. Instacart is offering free delivery on your first order of over $35 on the link below. Check them out, and now on to the show. Welcome back to the Fire & Water Cooking Podcast. I'm your host, Darren. And today we have a special guest. We have Chef Kevin Holmes Little. He is from Pennsylvania, and he has a lot of experience in sous vide. He's a graduate of the uh, Culinary Institute of America. Welcome, Kevin, to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Tell us about yourself. Oh, Darren, well, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, my name's Kevin Holmes Liddell, and there's a funny story behind that. When I first signed up for Facebook, I didn't know how Facebook worked, so I thought, you know, how are any, how's any, anybody that I know going to find me unless I put my middle name in? Cause I punched in Kevin Liddell and there were a bunch of them. Well, turns out it's, I didn't realize it was, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> so, so I, I can't get rid of it on Facebook, which I would like to, but you know, like Jack the Ripper probably just goes by Jack. He doesn't go by Jack the Ripper <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So, uh, I've been cooking professionally for 25 plus years. Uh, I got into sous vide cooking when I, I happened upon, I'm sure it was on the internet, maybe Facebook or something. I don't know. It was probably about 10 years ago. Uh, and I got one of those PID controllers and a crock pot. Uh, the problem is I read the first crock pot I bought was this all clad new like fancy electronic thing that i got a deal on and it turns out those controllers don't work with the electronic ones you have to have the old school crock pots um anyway so cooked for 25 years uh plus and now i'm trying to get into teaching sous vide to people and seeing where i can go with that well where are you from where, where do you reside right now i'm in the Williamsport, Pennsylvania area, which is northern central Pennsylvania. Uh, we're the home of Little League Baseball. This is kind of where I grew up. I traveled around quite a bit uh, when I was cooking. So I lived in Boston, uh, Nantucket, New York City, uh, Florida, and spent my last a good fair amount of time in the northern center of Pennsylvania region, uh, doing catering. So, um, 
when did you start cooking? Did you start when you were in your teens, when, when you were small? I mean, did you, know, did you always love cooking or how, how did you come, come about to uh, get into the career of cooking? I don't have the, the story that, you know, you hear about all the time where some eight-year-old decided they were going to watch every Julia Child episode ever and be into cooking for the rest of their life. I got into it kind of late. Uh, I was living in Boston and, uh, I was done with college up there and I was kind of looking for something to do. And I'd have been a psychology major and I, with an undergrad degree in psychology, I'm not sure what you do. So, but so one of my roommates had left and we needed to find a subletter. So this guy, Eric applied and we were like, guy seems like a nice guy. We, you know, and he moved in and he had been a CIA grad he graduated relatively recently, probably within the last year. And he came up and was working in a restaurant in Newton, uh, which is just outside of Boston. And we kept talking about food, and he knew I was a food enthusiast at that point. Uh, and he was like, you have a lot of knowledge about food. And he was like, you should come in to the restaurant and help us out, you know, just see, see if you're interested in it. So I went in and I, I met with the executive chef of the restaurant and he actually, they actually had two of these Italian restaurants and two seafood restaurants in Boston. And he was the executive chef and he was a pretty, he had been in the culinary Olympics, was on the board of the CIA, uh, had been the executive chef at the rainbow room in New York city. So he, he was, he knew his stuff. And I, I talked to him for a while and he said, Hey, I'll tell you what, if you're interested in the CIA, I'm, I can write your recommendation, but I'd like you to come in and work for free for a few weeks. And I was like, okay, sounds good. And I went in and this was a pretty big, pretty big restaurant and a pretty, one of the biggest kitchens I've worked in, uh, aside from resorts. Uh, and I worked and I kind of fell in love with it. I mean, it was, it was insane. I mean, it, it was 120 degrees in there all day long. And I was, boy, this is really fun. This is kind of like the old West. This is kind of cool. And so I was hooked and for a while and I got back to him eventually at some point I, I moved on. I moved out of Boston, went back to uh, the Williamsport area, but, and then I took a, a, you know, basic beginner's jobs in uh, a French bistro in Williamsport from a, a French guy named uh, Philippe Maigreau from Lyon. And that was an eye opener as well. <laughs> he, he was, he was one of those French chefs. Uh, but so that's just, that's where it sparked. And I just kept going with it. And I finally got my recommendation from the guy and I applied to the CIA. And at that point, they like, I don't, th I don't know if they require restaurant experience, cooking experience at this point anymore but when i was there you had to have a fair amount of restaurant experience before they'd even consider accepting you so that's how i got my start so yeah the cia is not the uh you know central intelligence agency I'm, so, I'm, for my listeners I'm, yeah. <laughs> it's the culinary in, in, yeah, culinary institute of america which is uh the uh, esteemed um you know culinary college in the united states so um yeah, well, I had AJ uh, Scheller on a couple weeks ago too, and uh, that's where she uh, she trained as well. Of course, you know that you met her at the uh, 
at the yeah, she was... conference. So, but, um, so yeah, I mean, that's interesting though, that you didn't, you didn't start, um, you know, when you, when you were young, you know, cause that's kind of where I started my love for cooking. I mean, I didn't, I, I started cooking young at 16 in restaurants and stuff, but, uh, you know, I, I can remember when I'd started back in, you know, seven or eight years old, helping my mom in the kitchen and, you know, trying to cook my own stuff. So, but, um, it's interesting that you already, you know, graduated from college and then found a, a different career path from psychology. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, psychology is definitely useful in a professional kitchen. I mean, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it should be a prerequisite, but, <laughs> um, yeah, no. So, so how long did it take you to graduate from the from the CIA? Uh, I did it in the I. They had a bachelor's program that had just started, and I didn't feel I needed another bachelor's degree. Um, so I got the associates, which was the bread and butter of the CIA, pretty much until then. Uh, and now they have programs. I was talking to AJ. Uh, they have programs now that are just like mind blowing. I wish they'd had them back then because I'm kind of a food science geek and I love that. And they have these food science programs. Now you get a bachelor's in now they have a master's program. Um, but when I got there, they, the, the bat, they had a bachelor's degree, but it just started and I wasn't real comfortable with going for that. At this point, if I were, if I were to start over all today, I would go for, I'd go to the bachelor's and the master's. Um, but it was a fun time. I mean, really, a really, it's very, it's stressful. It's boot camp for chefs, <laughs> um, but it really is a neat school. Uh, it's impressive. So over your years of working in the uh, commercial kitchens, is it anything different than what you thought it would be when you first started? I mean, what have you, what have you learned um, to love and learn to hate in, in the um, commercial kitchen? I'll tell you what. I, there's there's a constant sense of urgency that kind of takes its toll on you over the long term uh, when you're doing it. Now, I haven't worked in a professional kitchen for a few years. Uh, we can get into that a little bit later. Uh, I the, the thing that drove me nuts was it, it, it was I was used to it when I'm working when I was working. But when I got into traffic or in a line in the grocery store. And someone like can't swipe their card right, or they pull out their checkbook, and they're gonna write. I would lose my mind. So there's there's always this the sense of urgency that you get in professional kitchens carries over into at least it did for me. And I met I met some people that it doesn't. They're just mellow the whole time. It it just carried over in my life into time when I wasn't in a professional kitchen. And if someone was killing my time. I would lose my mind. <laughs> so that's something I don't miss. And I, I've gotten away from that. <laughs> I understand that. Cause I, you know, I worked in rest, I, I worked in restaurants when I was younger and even though they weren't, you know, chef run restaurants, they were, you know, oh. Denny's or something like that. You always Denny's. have that pressure because Den as soon as that check hits the window, you're on the clock starts, you know, so no matter if you're making a sandwich, a hamburger or an omelet, you know, you, you know, you got that pressure, like you said. And then on a Sunday morning, when the breakfast crowd gets there after church and you got, you know, 40 tickets in the window, <laughs> I can understand what you're talking about. You know, you got to keep moving, 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 moving and uh, rolling and rolling. And 
you don't have time for you know somebody to spill the pancake batter in front of you. <laughs> Denny's has as much pressure as any other restaurant there. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say that they have less pressure. I mean, McDonald's. I mean, there's a lot of pressure in there. It's all pressure. It's, you you got to complete this project in a certain amount of time. Do it consistently, and you know, and 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 just get it done. It's it doesn't matter where you are. I yeah, and make make an edible product. It's got to make you know a product that somebody's going to want to eat and not send back or complain. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have a good friend of mine has a restaurant, uh, and he's cooked for quite a while. But he, he didn't go to culinary school. He learned it through, I mean, a bunch of people I know he had cooked with. And he, uh, I mean, this guy has a work ethic like you wouldn't believe. And I think that's what it really takes. And this is a guy, so he's never really worked in fine dining, which I think is kind of overrated pretty much. But when you get the, if you go through the French Brigade, brigade system in fine dining restaurants, you can pretty much conquer anything. This guy never had that opportunity. Uh, he just had to work hard, and he works hard. And he has his own restaurant now, but it's kind of eating him up. Because, <laughs> he, you know, he, he hires people to help him out, gets them all trained, and then they go somewhere else. They, they And then he's on his own. And, I mean, this guy's cooking. Now, it's not a huge restaurant. It probably seats 60 people. But I'll bet they do 180 covers on Friday and Saturday night. And sometimes... He's the only one cooking. And I mean, that'll, that takes its toll on you. Yeah. And I, I was in the restaurant business, not for a huge and long amount of time, probably about eight years before I got into banking, you know, back in my early, you know, late teens, early twenties. And it's just that the, you know, when you're that seven, eight, ten dollar an hour type job, the, the quality of people you get <laughs> is, is what's going to be. And you don't get that in the fine dining, you, 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 have, you know, more professional you know chefs or professional cooks but in that um more line cook type position you know you got people that just don't give a crap you know they, they i mean i saw it all back when i was doing it i mean you had people coming drunk and you know hadn't showered in days and you know you, you just that type of the mentality you have in those type of jobs but um Usually they're younger kids too that don't give a crap. It's you know not their career, so if it's not something they really care about, they don't they don't care, and they'll blow out. They'll go somewhere else. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the the funny thing is though, actually, with the fine dining restaurants, you really don't get paid that hell of a lot more. You know, when you come in and you start, that's why I don't I don't know how anyone works at, uh, say La Bernardin as a when they start off. You know, uh, uh, these Michelin-starred restaurants. I don't know. I don't know how they live in Manhattan when they're. They might be getting seventeen an hour. You know. I mean, I don't know. I, it's, it's it's tough. It's tough business. That's that's just all there is to it. And you've been through it. Uh. Uh. I you know I don't know what to say. It's 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 hard to find good-paying jobs in the industry in the professional cooking industry and you have to sort of find a niche. And that's kind of what I'm looking for right now is I, I, I don't want to cook. I can't, I can't cook professionally anymore, but I can teach. And that's what I want to do. Yeah. It's always better to, uh, to teach and, and, and instead of working that, you know, (laughs) 
and one of the things that I, I, I had to get out of the business was because of the hours, the hours will kill you, you know, cause usually, you know, unless you're working just a breakfast and lunch shift, which, you know, not many fine dining places do that, you know, you're working, you're getting into work at nine o'clock in the morning so you can get all your prep done. If you have a lunch, you know, uh, service, then you're getting in there at six or seven and you're leaving at, uh, you know, eight or 10 at night. You know, if you're, you know, somebody that's running the kitchen, you work a lot of hours and you don't, you know, like you said, you don't get a lot of pay for it. You don't get a lot of respect and you're dealing with a lot of pressure. So, um, yeah, I can understand it. Have you ever, um, do you watch any TV at all, Kevin? I've heard of television. <laughs> yeah. TV. <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a new show on, um, on stars, the, the stars channel. There's a new show called uh, sweet bitter that kind of goes behind the scenes of a New York restaurant and it kind of, that's, I kind of like that show. It, you know, there's some other things that go on, but it's, it's that behind the scenes of a fine dining restaurant in New York city, kind of what you were talking about is that, you know, some of these, you know, the wait staff and stuff like that, you know, yeah, they don't make barely anything when they start out, but they're always for that hope of getting to be the main waiter or to the maitre d' where they start making more money, you know, and, uh, get, get the share and the tips and stuff like that. So it's, um, more of the prestige and the hope of, um, getting that better paying job down the road. I know some of the local fine dining places here is one called Burns Steakhouse in Tampa. It's been <laughs> yeah. there forever. And you know, the weights, the wait staff, the, the wait staff there, you know, the guy's been there, you know, 25 years as a waiter, but he's pulling in 150 grand a year. So now the bus boys and all those aren't making it, but that guy, you know, paid his dues and probably worked for, you know, pennies for the first few years, but now he's making Jack. So <laughs> he's got his regulars that come in and tip him really well. You know, he's sharing tips with everybody. And uh, oh, yeah, so. I mean, well, Burns is, I mean, that's one of the most famous steakhouses in the world. Uh, I think you're underestimating 150,000. He's probably making about 300 is my guess. I don't, there's some, yeah, there's some major D's in, in yeah, could be. New York city that I know <laughs> are make, definitely making that. Uh, but it's, you know, it's tough to get there and you got to be the cream of the crop. Uh, it's the same with cooking. Uh, there, I just, I just didn't necessarily find, like, like I look back on my career. I'm like, wow, the internet wasn't as good as it is now. <laughs> I wish I could have found some other, sort of things that's where i'm trying to find this niche where i have with sous vide cooking and training and that's why i'm spending a lot of money to train get trained myself even though i've done a lot of i mean i was almost all self-trained until i started taking some courses and that sort of thing uh and i still have some courses coming up on it but i'm hoping it'll pay off who knows it's always a gamble now did you start out doing sous vide did you always, did you start out doing CV in the commercial kitchens? Where did you learn it first? I learned it online. I got, I never, I was never in a kitchen that had sous vide. The sous vide wasn't even a thing when I was at the Culinary Institute of America. I mean, I never heard of it. Uh, and like I said, I, I bought one of those PID controllers and did it with a, you know, a crock bot and I was so overjoyed when I finally found the Innova One, and that was the first immersion circulator I ever bought. And I still have it. 
uh, and it still works. Uh, so I got into it kind of early when the Innova one, when I first came up on the Innova one, I was like, wow, look at that. I can do the same thing. I don't have to use this crock pot and it actually circulates and I have to, I don't have to be as careful. Uh, although, I mean, in the, in the crock pot with the top on, you have convection circulation. It's just slower. So an immersion circulator speeds, it just makes everything better. And so I got that thing. And I'll tell you what, I think the first meal I, I, I did with that, I did a, I did some steaks. I did like baby potatoes. Like I hadn't done vegetables before. I did like baby potatoes and I put them in with the steaks and I cooked these up and I seared this. I served my, the potatoes were just raw. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> rock hard. So, so, Oh, rock hard. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. So, I mean, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And uh, then I just started researching and reading and, I mean, getting contacting certain people and that are into it. Like, like you interviewed Lloyd Capuccio. And, I mean, he's been a great resource for me. Uh, and I, it's just, you know, I made contacts with so many people through this sous vide thing and most of it started with facebook and i'm just i'm just amazed it's it's actually a pretty cool thing well and i can tell you that's it's been i think it was youtube that i actually first found it and then kind of started searching for more information on facebook because i think i saw a video it was actually one of my barbecue guys because i was big into barbecue you know five or six years ago I, I, i was just doing a lot of barbecue and buying grills and looking for different things to cook on the grills and ways to do it. And I saw one of the guys I followed, Greg Marvich, who's got a YouTube channel, ballistic barbecue. He did a brisket where he sous vide it and then smoked it. And I was like, what the hell is this thing? <laughs> what is, what is sous vide? What are you doing? And then I started looking into it and I found out what it exactly it was cooking at precise temperature for, you know, a longer period of time. And I started, the, the light bulb started going off in my head. And it's like, you mean I could make a brisket medium rare and still have it nice and smoky and tender and I don't have to cook it to death. You know, that's what I really started getting my juices flowing and thinking of the different ways I could use this method. And that's one of the things I, I want to discuss too, is that I think people, especially people that aren't really foodies or, or people that like to cook a lot, when they see a sous vide circulator or there's somebody talking about it, they don't understand it's a method and not a gadget. <laughs> you know, it's not an Instapod where it's not a George Foreman grill. And that's one of the things I keep trying to, you know, educate people on. It's a, it's a complete method of cooking. It's a precise temperature for longer periods of time for, you know, it's not just a circulator. It's not something that, you know, you just a George Foreman grill where you throw a couple burgers on and it drips the fat out the bottom. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a over an overall method that can do so many things that you, you can't even really gauge. Yeah, it. I think that's a great point because, uh, you know, uh, broiling, saute, braising, th these are all methods, but, they don't have the variability that we have with sous vide. So, you know, if you want to take a brisket and like you, you brought a brisket. So I did a brisket. This is an interesting story. So 
I went into my local Sam's Club, and they started carrying prime beef. So they had prime ribeyes, and but they had prime brisket. And I was like, geez, I haven't done like a whole packer brisket on my own sous vide. I'd never, I'd never done it. I'd done some flats. I'd done a couple points, but never bought a whole packer brisket, broken it down myself, and then cooked it sous vide. So I was like, geez. And the price was like, I don't know, three twenty-five a pound or something for prime Angus. And I was like, wow, that's not bad. So I bought the thing, and it's in a cryovac, and I put it in the downstairs refrigerator. And I'm the worst person. Like, if I don't see it in the upstairs fridge, I forget about it. I mean, I've lost so many avocados that way. Um, but so that sat for a month. So I bought that thing like mid-March this past year, this year. And then like mid-April, I'd, I'd been down to Florida with his friends. I got back. I'm like, ah, I should probably take that out before it gets ripe. And I opened it up and it smelled fine. And I broke it down, and I pretty much denuded all the fat from it, and I separated the point and the flat. And then I seasoned one with uh, truffle salt. I, I, I think I did the, f the flat. No, I did the point with truffle salt. Did the flat with uh, fish salt, the red boat fish salt. And I didn't actually, I didn't actually measure it out. I just eyeballed it. I should have measured it, but I, I just eyeballed it. And then I, I vacuum sealed them. And then I put them down in the refrigerator downstairs. And I just forgot about them for, like, forever. <laughs> but I put a fair amount of salt in. And I went down and I looked at them. And I know, I know what to look. I'm, I'm looking at them, and I'm not seeing any. They're fine. And I let them go. These things ended up, I didn't finally cook them. I think for, oh, no, wait, sorry, I got to go back. I salted them, then I did process them sous vide uh, probably in late May. So they had cured for a month with salt. And then I processed them sous vide at 131 for 72 hours. I pulled them out. I don't think I did the step-down cooling because I wasn't, yeah, this was before I knew about step down cooling. And I just chilled them, got them down to really cold temperature, put them in the fridge. And then I waited another month, and I was like, oh, I got to take care of these. Took them out, got them as cold as I could, put them in a smoker, and smoked them for like four hours. I took them out and tried this. This is the best damn brisket I've ever had in my life. I mean, I... It was, so I, n I never took it above, and here's where, where I start to get confused because I'm into the science of this, and I'm trying to figure out how much of the enzymatic collagen conversion to gelatin is happening as opposed to heat conversion to gelatin because I hear a lot of different people saying different temperatures on collagen conversion. So, and I read all this stuff and blah, blah. Anyway, whatever happened. It was the damn best damn brisket. And I have a, I mean, I have a video. I put it on my sous vide group, sous vide food fun, where you can look at it. And I'm picking this thing up, and it is just, like, folding. I mean, it's I pick it up with tongs, and it's just bending over. And it was just unbelievable. I, this method is so 
I don't know how to explain it. I mean, it's, it's just so good in many different ways. As I mean, if you're braising something, you're basically cooking it at 212 degrees. If you're boiling something, you're basically cooking it at 212 degrees. If you're sautéing something, obviously different changes. Uh, roasting, obviously different. But this is like very specific and and degrees certain like a very small number of degrees make a big in your final product so you have to be careful with that as opposed to other 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 sort of cooking methods yeah yeah and and that's another thing that the people don't really understand as well because they and i find this a lot especially since i i kind of specialize in the the combining the smoking and the sous vide people come into my group and they they have that what's it take to smoke something, you know, like a brisket, you know, it's got to hit a 200 degrees internal or above or around there for it to break down the collagen and all that. So a lot of them come into that or they'll go, okay, well, I was told it's got to be, you know, for sous vide, it's got to be, you know, 155 for 72 hours. Well, they don't understand that there's, it can move around, you know, you can do 158, you know, for 36 hours or, you know, to get a different result, you can do, like you said, the 131 for 72 hours, because once you, you move the, the, the temperature and you move the time, you know, different ways, you're going to get a totally different result. And that's what I love about it. It's not just, you know, a saute, you saute and you get one result. You know, when you braise, you braise, you get one result. With sous vide, you can get many different results on the same protein. You know, that just amazes me. And that's what the constant experimenting I like to do, you know, do I like it this way? Hey, do I like the ribeyes? This, this comes up a lot in the, you know, in the groups, you know, doing the ribeyes or the um, chuck roasts at 134 instead of 131, you know, that it breaks the you know, collagen down just a little bit more, but you know, that's personal preference. Now you start to get into the, you know, what, what that little bit of a change might, you know, be for me, you know, how I like it than what somebody else might like it. So it, it, to me, it just, yeah, you can make that little bit of a change to make it just a little bit different that you go, wow, this is it for me. You know? Yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, I know like my damn point, my temperature for sous vide pork tenderloin is one thirty eight. I mean, that's as perfect as I like it. And everyone I've ever, it's, it's, and that's one of the, the great, the great cuts that benefits from sous vide. It really does. And at that temperature, everyone I've ever served it to has said, that's the best pork tenderloin I've ever had. And I, you know, I, I take it out, season it and sear it obviously. But, uh, you know, it was, it's just brilliant. Like, the things you can do with it are just, it's a whole different world. And people just start losing their mind when you talk to them and say, Okay, you know, bring it up. I had friends, like, you know, I, I, I'll bring over my all my equipment and I do it. And they just like, holy crap, this is amazing. You're, <laughs> you're on to something here. Uh, but other people are scared of it. You know, I, it's, it's, it's relatively new. And it's not just that. It's, it can get into some minutiae because I get people that they want it the easy way. Well, just tell me what temp, you know, time and temp. I said, well, you know, I might like mine. Like you just said to your pork tenderloin. Well, I like my pork tenderloin at 145. So, <laughs> but you know, so if I tell you 145, you're going to try it and go, well, that's not really the best. I mean, it's okay. 
but that's why I always tell people, well, you need to, you know, these, these times and temps that we give you are kind of a range. You stay within these ranges where it's safe. You know, you want to make sure it's pasteurized. You want to make sure you're cooking in the safe zone. But other than that, you need to start, you know, experimenting on your own because, you know, you might like, you know, 134 or 135 for something. And I might like 138 or 139. So unless you start playing around with that, you're not going to know, you know, everybody's, I think a lot of people start out wanting that, tell me the exact perfect time and temp. And then, you know, sometimes they go to it and they go, oh, that didn't turn out great. You know, I get that a lot, especially the barbecue guys when they start trying to play with it because they start trying to use it like barbecue. <laughs> you know, I sous vide something for, you know, 48 <laughs> hours at this temp and then I threw it on the smoker and got it up to 290. It's like, what are you doing? But um, you got to kind of, I get that all the time. Yeah, they'll they'll revert back to the what they used to do on the smoker, and it's like you don't need to get it to two hundred anymore, guys. Please. Like, no, you're 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 totally correct on that. Uh, there's there's no accounting for taste. I mean, I, I know people that I've cooked for that I have to cook their steak medium well at the least. They like. They like their steak well done, and that's not how I like it, but I can't, you know, how can I say that's not, you know, that's not something you should like. That's how you like it, so that's how you get it. Um, and that's, yeah, so, like like you said, you like your pork tenderloin, I think you said at 145, I like 138, uh, that's for tenderloin, I think loin, I go to 140, um, but the the it, people have so many different it's, it's such a variability i don't know i don't know how to explain it the temperatures of uh like now i i'm basing this on beef are just all off the charts if you google you know cooking temperatures for beef for certain temperature for medium rare medium rare medium medium well well done you'll see stuff all over the world and I came up with, and I, I'm the only one, I don't know how I came up with this. This has been a long time, but, and this was part of my talk at the sous vide summit was, uh, temperatures that, and, and it really works. So if you want, I, 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 I use the rule of seven and I started at 122 degrees. I wish I had my chart in front of me because I, I started at 122 degrees. So for rare, 122 plus 7 is 129. So between 122 and 129 is rare. This is for beef. Then you go 130 starts at medium rare. Go add 7. So you're at 136, I think. Uh, maybe. I don't have it in front of me. Um, so then start for medium you're going to be at 138 to like 145. It's, it's all at seven and then medium. Well, 146 to 153. And then well is going to be 154 and up. I think I got that right. I might not have, I might be off a degree or two on some of the, on some of the math. Um, but it works really well. And it's something that people can remember. I see all these things where people are like, okay, rare is from 110 to 124, and then medium is, or 
Your medium rare is from 125 to 128. I mean, it just, like, I I just think this thing works. Anyway, I'm just trying to spread that. I did that at the, at the, uh, said that at a conference. Some people liked it. Some people said I was full of stuff. So, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. I, I'm, uh, you know, it's an easy thing to remember, like you said. And you got to remember, it is a range. It's not like exactly, you know, even though we're dealing with precise temperatures in the sous vide, you know, something like a medium rare is not meant to be an exact temperature of like exactly 131 it's got to be medium rare it's in that range so but we're going to come back in a second i'm going to take a break for an ad real quick but we'll be right back with kevin holmes little hey all i want to welcome again Inkbird is our sponsor for the fire and water cooking podcast Inkbird has more than just barbecue thermometers and instant read thermometers that I've talked about before. Inkbird just came out with a Wi-Fi sous vide circulator that I've been using for a few weeks now that works pretty good. has over 1,000 watts of power, has an app that has many times and temps for meats and vegetables, also has onboard times and temps for meats and vegetables, runs really quiet. Fits most regular sous vide containers that are the size of the Anovas. So check it out. Look below. There's a link with a code for 30% off of the Amazon price that makes it under $60 right now. So check out the Inkbird Wi-Fi sous vide circulator in the description below. Back to our program. All right, Kevin, we're back. And um, since you brought it up, um, we're going to talk about the International Sous Vide Summit that you attended in July. Um, you, of course, were a speaker there and um, are a member of the International Sous Vide Association, as well as I, Jason, and Mike, you know, invited me to come on board. And I really wanted to make it to the summit this year, but I had uh, already had plans when they invited me. So I'm hoping to make it to San Francisco next year in 2020. And are you planning on going? Oh, absolutely. Oh, great. So I'll get to meet you in person. Yeah. But uh, definitely would like to meet you in person and a a few other people. And um, uh, definitely uh, it sounded like it was a great time. I know I talked to Meathead. I talked to AJ. I talked to um, Eric uh, Villegas from uh, Backmaster uh, and a few others. And everybody that I've talked to, Jason and Mike, of course, said it was uh, one of the best um, best summits or, or, you know, conventions that they went to that was, you know, a specific, you know, uh, dedicated to a specific cooking method that they've ever been to. This was the first one, so um, they had nothing really to compare it to, but, you know, most of them compared it to other industry-type events. And um, for it being the first one, everybody was, you know, just raving how well it was put together the quality of the speakers and the participants, you know, Korea being there and, uh, you know, doing all the food and all the information they got from them. So tell me what, what, what was your uh, overall uh, thoughts on the uh, summit? Darren, I can't express how amazing it was. I mean, I was so impressed, honestly. Um, I came into the thing, like it first popped up. I remember seeing, uh, Jason Logson at one point he had put up something like this might have been a year before or, or less than a year like who would be interested in like a meeting for sous vide people you know a sous vide 
it wasn't like this huge thing. It sounded like kind of like like I don't know, thirty people getting together in a hotel one night and drinking beers and talking about sous vide, and then all of a sudden it turned into this, and so I wasn't sure what to expect, and I had met Mike, uh, who's who was the the organizer, and I'd met him in Baltimore before it was happening, and we were talking and this and that, and we talked about what I would talk about, uh, and that sort of thing. And I still wasn't sure what to expect. And I drove down to Delaware and showed up. And I was about 20 minutes late because I got stuck in traffic or got lost or something. I don't know. And I started. And that was Friday. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, and we're all getting in a bus. And we're going to this amazing. They didn't say this, but all of a sudden, we're at this amazing reception area that's, you know, a half hour away or something. And we're eating all this great food. And meeting people and talking and everyone's like, oh, and everyone's so excited to be into the sous vide thing. I mean, they're loving it. I mean, it was amazing. And Meathead Goldwyn's there cooking steaks, flipping them, blah, 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 giving you steaks, prime steaks from, I think, oh, geez, I can't remember the name of them right now. I'm failing. Um, Alan, so Alan Brothers. <laughs> Alan Brothers, that's it, yes. And everyone was just doing, like, they're just so excited. The food was amazing. And, oh, and, like, it was like a free bar. <laughs> I'm kind of, like, there was, you know, you buy some stuff for donations, but pretty much open bar. Anyway, a good food. And then we got buses back. And then the next morning started all over again. I mean, there were so many good speakers. I mean, it was really, like, so many people that knew so much stuff. And, like I said, Korea was there. And, I mean, they're obviously the at the forefront. Uh there, there were just you know Eric Village for you know from Cry, for Backmaster, he and he's entertaining. I mean, if you want to, he's a hell of a speaker. I mean, he's fun to watch, and he's a really nice guy as well. Um, I mean, everyone there was nice. It was just a really yeah. I had him on my podcast, so he's he's very very entertaining. Uh, I know you did. I listen. I listened to your podcast, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I mean. The whole, it really was just, and, and Mike put a thing together that was world-class and this was the first, and I was like taken aback. I honestly was taken aback and I think everyone else was, I mean, I can't imagine it being better, but maybe it will be in San Francisco. I don't, I mean, it was impressive. I have to say, and I, if anyone is interested in sous vide i would go out to this thing and it'll probably sell out <laughs> i know this one sold out the past one sold out i mean it's just it's it was just incredible mike and jason were excellent i mean it was incredible yeah i think a lot of people that i haven't had anybody that said any bad things about it everything was executed well the speakers you know all the speakers were well, uh, meathead, you know, I talked to him and he was just like, it was one of the best, you know, things he's been to. And he, you know, from what I understand, he took notes at every, every speaker's, um, you know, uh, event. He was there writing notes, learning stuff. He said he learned so much. He's, you know, coming out with another book. He put together a, like a 40 page PDF on just on sous vide Q he said, and it's going to be part of his next book. So, um, everybody I talked to had a great time and learned a lot. I mean, that's the thing too, is these people came in 
you know, like most conferences, you know, people go in, you know, the speakers, especially come in with the, the egos and the high, you know, big heads thinking that they're not going to learn anything. They're there to teach everybody. Well, to me, this from everybody I talked to, they were just there to not just teach, but to learn. And they had, you know, just a good a time teaching as they did learning and experiencing new things and new types of food and, you know, all the different types of things that Korea created, you know, um, that people had never even seen before and knew that sous vide could do. So I'm looking forward to San Francisco for sure. I learned quite a bit. Uh, I mean, it really was neat. It's funny you mentioned Meathead and I, I think it was, it was the last night that we were all there. I think he and I spent an hour and a half. Uh, we were over at the venue where you get bus to. He and I spent an hour, an hour and a half talking. And uh, he, I, I didn't, I haven't gotten back in contact with him necessarily. He, he was like, I don't have any cards or anything. Uh, but we just had a blast. I got my picture with him. And he, well, he got my, he got his picture with me is what really important. But uh, he, uh, he and I just had a great time. We were just talking about food and Subi and how you do this. And he was like, wow, you're doing some interesting, you know, because I'm, I'm doing some interesting stuff that I'm trying out. Uh, but he, he's a great guy. I, that conference was absolutely incredible. I mean, it really was. I was just amazed. So I'm looking forward to next year. I know you are too, but let's talk about, because one of the things that I guess inspired you, you know, was seeing all the, you know, and listening to people from Crea. Uh, you, you just recently took some training there, you said, for a, a business that you're going to be starting up. So uh, what type of training did you take at Crea and how was it? I uh, was down at Crea for their last sous vide course. Uh, and it, it's a three-day course. I was longer. Uh, but it's it it's pretty intense. It's a it's fun, but it's there's a lot of stuff going on, and these these courses are it's an intense course uh, on sous vide cooking everything. You know, pretty much you do you go through meats, vegetables, vegetable meat, vegetables, jeez, uh, fish, uh, which can be kind of considered meat. I don't know. I kind of anyway, it's a it's a pretty intensive course, but it's it's really neat. And so you had interviewed interviewed uh, AJ Scheller, and she was the main instructor for most of it. And she's, I mean, just a precious resource. Uh, she's such a good instructor. Uh, and so there were there were a bunch of people. I think there were there were sixteen of us. Uh, someone was able to get in. It's usually only limited to fifteen. There are 16 of us, so it gets a little tight in the the kitchen because there are a few people that aren't professional cooks who don't necessarily know how to move in a kitchen. So it gets a little tighter in there. You got to watch out. But it's it's just an amazing an amazing experience. But so we cook all this amazing food. They feed you amazing food. So you you come in in the morning and they give you breakfast and they give you lunch and all is like the best stuff you've ever had cook sous vide ever because that's what they do Mo there were some heavy hitters in that class it was interesting uh there was a guy who was the executive chef at the putkana hard rock cafe which has 2000 around 2000 rooms he said they do 
50,000 pounds of chicken a week, and they cook it sous vide. And he was up here for the course. Uh, the Compass Group, executive, corporate executive chef, was there. Uh, corporate executive chef for TGI Fridays was there. Uh, there were all sorts, uh, a lot of heavy hitters. It's an amazing program. I would recommend it to anyone who has some experience. Like, if you're not used to, if you haven't done some professional cooking or you're not used to the terminology, you got to kind of get up on it. And yeah, it's like you said, though, you, you can't go into a class like that not knowing much about professional cooking because they're there to teach, you know, professional cooks how to use sous vide in their, um, you know, line of work. It's not just, you know, the basics of how do I, you know, do it in my home kind of thing. <laughs> These are, they're way above that. So you got to know some of the terminology. It's not just, you know, uh, they're they're coming into your house and showing you how to turn on a, a, a circulator. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you just, if you just walked in, you know, you didn't know you'd be lost, but I'm actually going down uh, next week and taking their HACCP course uh, because I'm starting, I'm going to hopefully start a business uh, that where I teach sous vide cooking to restaurants, catering companies and stuff around here. Cause no one around here really knows anything about it, which is interesting. Well, it's not interesting, but it's not surprising, but it, well, then, uh, when I was talking with AJ, a lot of even the professional uh, kitchens are kind of scared of it because of the what happened in New York City, you know, where they pretty much shut it down until they could get these uh, HACCP, uh, you know, regulations down and, and and some things, guidelines in place for using it. Um, so I know a lot of professional chefs that kind of poo-poo it because of that, because that's all they hear or remember is that, you know, it, uh, you know, what happened in New York City, you know, a few years back. So I, I think what Tria is doing and um, what you're what you're going to be doing is very important because showing these uh, even the professional kitchens, how they can use it and be compliant with, uh, you know, the local, uh, you know, health departments so that they can, you know, know what they're looking at when they come in, because that's the, the main problem is the local health departments have no clue what they're looking at. <laughs> You nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. I mean, I, I was in, I would think it was the first day, maybe the first hour, and I'm talking to Bruno, and I asked him about the health department stuff, and he says, he was in the semi fresh acts. He was like, health departments don't know shit. <laughs> I mean, and I was like, yeah, exactly. And that's why, that's why the New York City, you know, they shut it down for a while. Like, you couldn't do it. Um, and then they were like, okay, well, you can do it, but you have to have a HACCP program. And I got to tell you, I'm not looking forward to taking the HACCP program because I've done HACCP plans before, and they are not fun. It's like going to the dentist, but I have to have that ability behind me to go into a restaurant or a catering place or wherever and say, here, I can teach you this plan, or I can teach you this cooking method, but you might need a HACCP program behind this just because your health inspector isn't going to know what the hell this is. And so that makes it difficult because they don't understand. It's actually a safer cooking method than almost any other method out there. 
Yeah. But if you don't understand it, that's like, you know, you get this in the groups on Facebook and stuff all the time. The new people that come in, um, Oh, I'm the food's in the danger zone for so long. You know, how do you not get sick? Or I'm cooking in plastic bag. I'm going to get, uh, you know, the BPAs are going to give me cancer and like, uh, you know, tomorrow, you know, you get those kind of people that just freak out over every little thing and, and they don't do any research. They find some obscure article somewhere on the internet from, you know, somebody's blog that they heard about. And <laughs> I love, I love trying to comment on those because, you know, you, you, you throw up all these uh, research articles from, you know, verifiable sources and then they kind of poo poo it, but they got, you know, some, somebody's blog post from 2008 where they said that you can't cook sous vide cause you're going to die. You oh know? yeah. I mean, the plastic stuff comes up all the time. The garlic stuff comes up all the time. Uh, I mean, there's all these, these constant, you know, I, I just don't even bother with them anymore. <laughs> I just, I'm like, I, I can't convert anyone. Well, that was my point is you get that, you get that in there and you also get it in the guys that are working for the health departments because they're not trained any better. A lot of times, all they are is given a bunch of guidelines that they got from the government. You know, a lot of times they don't really know what they're looking at. So they're not trained at all. And that's why they lose their minds They look at it and they, they, their, their temperature danger zone is 40 to 140, which is 25 years ago. And they see you cooking something at 135, and they're like, "You're gonna kill everyone." They're they're uneducated about it, and I don't know how I don't know how to change it. Like, you know, I just I don't I don't know how to change it. But but so I have to have these HACCP. I have to have the background in the HACCP stuffs just so I can take care of my clients if they need me to. You know, most of the time, like around here, I think you could probably put a bunch of water baths in with some circulators. And no one's ever going to find out what, you, you know, if the health inspector walks in and they look at it and go, what's that? You say it's a radio. I mean, I don't know. All right. So you got that working. So when, when do you, uh, when do you uh, plan on rolling your business out sometime next yeah, year? It's going to be probably next year. Uh, I'd like to get this HACCP training under my belt and then uh, start putting some material together and, you know, building a website, getting incorporated. Uh, and then I, I'm going to have to buy some, you know, a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I've been spending all my money on this Korea education. <laughs> so it's hard, it's hard to buy all the stuff I need to get, but, uh, I'm going to, yeah, yeah. Hopefully I'm thinking maybe March at, you know, I hope it's not that long, but it's probably going to be. Kevin, I want to thank you for being on. It's about time for us to wrap this up. And um, I definitely want to have you on again sometime, especially when you get your business up and going. Um, have you ever thought of uh, writing a cookbook or anything like that? I know I've, I've had a lot of cookbook authors on here lately. Yeah, I actually I actually just bought uh, Jason Logson's uh, book on writing cookbooks. <laughs> and I, I, I haven't read it. I, I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm not sure. If there, there might be... I don't know. It seems like it's kind of saturated, but maybe I'm wrong. It seems like there are a lot of sous vide cookbooks out there, but I don't, I don't know if the world needs another one right now, but maybe it does. I don't know. I, I don't know. Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Speaking of that, we're both in the, uh, the ISVAs, the International Sous Vide Association's uh, Champions of Sous Vide Cookbook that's now available on Amazon. Kevin has a couple recipes in there as well as I, as well as uh, many of the attendees of the international sous vide associations um, summit that they had. And um, 
I'll put a link to that in the description of the podcast. So check it out, guys. It's now available on Amazon. It's a great, uh, a great uh, addition to anybody's cookbook. But I look forward to it. Yeah, I think you should. I think there's room on the shelf for more sous vide cookbooks because it is going to be – I think sous vide is just really just starting to grow. I think it's got a, it's got a, a lot of legs once people start figuring out that it's more than just something to cook steaks with, that it's not just a gadget, that it's a whole method that it can do some of these amazing things that we've been talking about. It's going to continue to grow and more people will get interested. So the more they can read and study and learn about it, the better. And I think, uh, you know, you looking at that type of uh, career for yourself to put that on the commercial side, is going to, it's going to pay dividends for you in the long yeah, run. I agree. That'd be good. I'd like to put a cookbook out. But thank you, sir. I appreciate you being on, and I will um, make sure we have you on again sometime soon. Like I said, as soon as you get your business up and running, we'll talk, um, and maybe we'll have a, a roundtable on. I think I'm going to have Lloyd on later on this week, too. We're going to answer questions that we get all the time in some of the CV groups and kind of go over that. But um, I definitely will uh, stay in touch. Thanks for being on. Anything else you want to say before we uh, shut it off? Oh, no. Thanks for having me, Darren. And you can, pleasure. you can find Kevin in the Facebook and the, his Facebook group is called sous vide food and fun and, um, check it out. Cause he's got uh, a, a great, uh, group of guys in there. Lloyd's being one of them as a moderator. Thanks again, Kevin. I look forward to seeing you in San Francisco. If I don't talk to you before then I will, uh, see you again. I hope we get to talk again before that. All righty. Thanks again, and we'll see you again on the next Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Well, thanks again for joining us, folks. I want to thank Kevin one more time for being on. Make sure you check out the links below with links to uh, Kevin's Facebook page. Make sure you also check out Inkbird uh, in the description below and Instacart. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, on our Facebook group and page, Fire and Water Cooking. Check out the Fire and Water Cooking channel on YouTube and Instagram. And I will talk to you again on the next Fire and Water Cooking Podcast.